I'll go ahead and get going. I know there's only a few of us here, but uh, we do have a 10 o'clock race that we need to be on time for, and it takes time to get ready for it. So, um, Lord, thanks a lot for this morning. Just thanks for the opportunity to be here, to, uh, to be here on a Memorial Day weekend with perfect weather and beautiful sunshine and blue skies. Uh, we are blessed, and we recognize that we're blessed. And so would you just bless us this morning, um, bring the people in that need to hear this, give me the words to say, and uh, just bless our day as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, being that this is Memorial Day weekend, I have a very unusual topic to discuss. And the, and the question that I have this morning is, why is it so bad to be a Christian? And, of course, um, sitting here underneath this tent, many of us have, have said, hey, I am a Christian. I acknowledge that there's a God in heaven, that there's only one true God, and he sent his son down to this earth. His son's name was Jesus, who lived the perfect life and, and was crucified on a cross, and he was the sacrifice for my sins. And because of my belief in him and my faith, I place my trust in him, I get to live forever. God loved the world so much he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sounds like a good thing to me. So why is it a bad thing? And the reason that the question is, is because it is considered bad to be a Christian in many, many parts of the world today. Um, you look at it, and at last count, there were 51 countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, where there's a penalty assessed if you say the name of Jesus. Even if you just hold a Bible in North Korea, if you're just found, if you're just caught with a Bible, uh, for example, you are, if you're not killed right then and there, then you're forced into a prison labor camp. And in these prison labor camps, it's estimated right now that there's between 50 and 70,000 people in labor camps in North Korea right now. And when you think labor camps, think back to World War II and the concentration camps and the harsh living conditions there. In North Korea, if you're caught with a Bible, you're sent to one of these prisons, not just you that are sent to prison, but your family. And you'll be there for up to three generations, they say. So I'll go to, I'll go to prison along with my son and my son's children that are born in prison will still be prisoners because I am a Christian. And that's modern-day North Korea, and we never hear about that. Iran. We hear a little bit about Iran because here recently there was a, 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 an American citizen that was arrested in Iran. His name's uh, Saeed Abedini. Difficult for me to say. Uh, Saeed Abedini, though, was, uh, was born in Iran. So Iranian by birth, Muslim by birth. And in 1980, he was born in 1980, in the year 2000, when he was 20 years old, Saeed Abedini converted from Islam to Christianity, and he said, Jesus is Lord. Now, in Iran, they don't necessarily, they don't have churches. They have mosques, because everybody there needs to be Islam. So he started uh, attending an underground church, a house church. In the year 2000, it wasn't technically, Ill it was frowned upon, but it wasn't actually illegal to be a part of a Christian church being held at, in, in a house. And so in 2000 to 2002, Saeed Abedini is going to these underground churches. In 2002, he meets and marries an American woman. She was also Iranian from birth, but she had moved to the United States, became an American citizen. Uh, they met, they married in 2002, and together they started planting house churches all across Iran. Over the next three years, they established over 100 house churches in 30 different cities in Iran, over 2,000 members in their church. In the year 2005, things changed. The political landscape changed because Ahmadinejad, I can't pronounce that as good as the news anchors on, on nightly TV, but Ahmadinejad became president of Iran. He said it is illegal to have house churches. It is illegal to be anything but a Muslim in Iran. And so the Abedinis together packed up and they moved back to the United States. Saeed became an American citizen living in Idaho. 
In the year 2009, Saeed went back to visit with his family. It's been four years since he'd seen his family. He went back to Iran to visit with his family and he was promptly arrested. And he was interrogated, harsh interrogation. And they asked him about why he was in Iran and what his activities were. And he was there to see family. And uh, they remembered him from being um, prominent in the church movement in Iran a few years earlier. And they gave him a very, very stern warning that accompanied a few bruises on him. Said, you're not to be planning any churches. You are not to proselytize here in Iran. He agreed. He visited his family. Came back to the United States 2009. 2012, Saeed went back to Iran to help set up a state-run orphanage. The government allowed him to set up an orphanage, but instead of setting up the orphanage, when he landed in Iran, he got drugged off of a bus, was arrested for being a Christian. He was falsely imprisoned, no charges, put in prison, and finally, in January of 2013, they held a trial and they put Saeed Abedini on trial. And all the evidence presented against him was for being a Christian, and it was all from the years 2000 to 2005, when it was technically not illegal to be a Christian. He was sentenced to eight years in prison, which is where he's at today. Today he's in a prison, one of the harshest pr prisons in the city of Karaj. And honestly, it is not expected that he'll return anywhere. We expect he will probably die in prison. Harshest, worst criminals beatings by not just the, the fellow criminals but also by the guards and we don't expect that he'll make it why is it so bad to be a christian the list goes on pakistan it's illegal to be a christian constitutionally they have religious freedom but it's illegal to blaspheme the name of mohammed and it's punishable by death and so there are false accusations that abound if anyone doesn't worship mohammed china china is like the leader in um human rights violations and in China, Christianity is technically legal, but it has severe government monitoring. And it's the government that sets up the church. The government says how the church is going to be run, whatever religion it is, whether it's Buddhist or whether it's Christian. And so the Christian church has been driven underground. And it's illegal to have an underground church in China, punishable by prison, torture, and even up to death. Saudi Arabia, birthplace of Islam, illegal to be anything but a Muslim in Saudi Arabia, punishable by death. The list goes on. Nigeria, Uzbekistan, which is formerly part of the Soviet Union. Vietnam, the place where so much American blood was shed. It's illegal to be a Christian. Vietnam is the la one of the last, one of the five last remaining communist countries on the globe. It is illegal to be a Christian, punishable by prison and harsh conditions. In practice, Christians are denied ID cards and their seizure. They're denied the issue of an ID card. Without an ID card, you can't do anything in a communist country. And personal property is seized and people are dying in Vietnam. Again, where so much American blood was shed in the name of freedom. And we withdrew and the communists came in. You know, it really makes me glad to live in the United States of America. This is Memorial Day weekend. What a beautiful weekend it is right here on Marvin's Mountaintop in West Virginia. The sun's shining, the grass is green, we've got dirt bikes all around us. It's a beautiful place, and we think, and when we go to the starting line, Tim Cotter is going to remind us this is Memorial Day. There was a lot of blood shed to get us to this point from the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Civil War, all the way, all these wars that have been fought, all in the name of freedom, so that I can stand here with the microphone and say the name of Jesus Christ, so that we can make announcements on a public PA system that say there's a non-denominational church that you're welcome to come to. It's the land of the free. You don't have to come here. This isn't a state-sponsored church. You're free to come here. I am free.
to say what I want to say, but even here in America, it seems that it is bad to be a Christian. Things are changing. There are social, there have been a long time, there have been a social consequences for being a Christian. What do I mean by that? I mean, every morning I wake up and um, I know I'm the preacher, so the first thing I ever do is I pray and I read my Bible, but in, in reality, sometimes the first thing I do is I grab my phone and I look at Facebook. And every morning, every day, I see my non-Christian friends posting and reposting things that have social consequences for being a Christian. Lots of blogs out there that are posted by my atheist friends, and they have headlines, um, how can you possibly believe in intelligent design? Here's a headline, Christians are so stupid. They, take their, they put their heads in the sand, they believe in fairy tales. That's a quote. Christians don't believe in science, and the list goes on about how dumb and how stupid and how moronic Christians are. Christians don't, I hear it over and over, Christians don't believe in science. Really? Do you listen to what a Christian has to say? I'm one of the, I believe very much in science. But here's the deal. I believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old because I believe the Bible. I believe that if you, if you look at the, at the generations that are laid out in the early uh, books of the Bible, there's the genealogies of, of Noah. Before that, there's the genealogies of Adam and Eve and Seth, and it goes on and on. And you trace all those back, the earth is about 6,000 years old. I also believe that the light that we see from the stars is millions of light years old. Now, how can you do both? The evolution says you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. Obviously, if you believe that the starlight that you're seeing is millions of years old, then the earth is part of the same universe. Why can't you accept that the That doesn't make any sense. Christians are stupid. I believe that when God created Adam, it's very clear in Genesis that when God created Adam, Adam was a man. He wasn't, he wasn't a baby. He had age to him. When Adam cut down a tree, did it have rings in it? I don't know. I have to think maybe it was. When God created the rock, did it have an age to it? I also believe that because of science, science has actually proven that there are problems with radiometric isotope dating, carbon dating, that we hear so much about, that this rock is millions and millions of years old. There's a problem with that, and it's actually been, been proven. We never hear anything about that, though. I very much believe in science, and I believe that we, as Ken Ham, the, the um, Creation Institute, and also the, the Creation Museum outside of Cincinnati, he's the one that started that, Answers in Genesis. When you, believe at the, when you start at the right starting point, science makes a world of sense. Science makes an incredible amount of sense when you have the right starting point. When you don't start at the right starting point, you end up in the wrong place. And it doesn't make much sense at all. You have to twist and bend the facts to get it to fit. Christians are actually very scientific, but we don't hear much about that. We just hear the headlines about how stupid Christians are. And it's, you know, it's a social consequence. It's not that big of a deal that you want to call me a name. It doesn't really hurt me all that much. But we're moving. This country is moving in a, in a direction where it's no longer just social consequences but there are political consequences, and there are actually monetary consequences. I'm thinking right now of Sweet Cakes by Melissa in Gresham, Oregon. She's the lady that owned a bakery and refused to bake a cake for a lesbian wedding. The lesbians felt discriminated against. They sued. They won. The fine levied on Sweet Cakes by Melissa was so heavy that she had to shut her business down because she decided to live by her beliefs instead of by what society told her she had to live by. Now we're getting into real consequences, and the debate is raging right now in America. And I have stayed away my entire time with this microphone. I have stayed away from politics because Jesus, I've said it many times, Jesus came to change our hearts, not our beliefs. He came to save us from sin, not from politics. 
I don't want to use Jesus as a weapon. He's he's been used as a weapon often enough. But yet, as I look out across the as I look out across the landscape of America, the landscape of the world, it's bad to be a Christian. And I'm starting to see this. This debate is raging right now across America of same-sex marriage. Of course, if you if you believe in God and you believe the Word of God, the Bible, we understand that marriage is between one man and a woman. Yes, the arguments out there that the Old Testament, man, these guys, they had lots of uh, they had lots of multiple wives. How do you explain that? Well, here's the deal. When God came down to earth in the form of his own son Jesus, Jesus said, marriage is between uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two become one. And we base that marriage is one man and one woman, not one man and 10 women and not one man and one man. Marriage is one man and one woman. It's pretty basic. Off topic, but the question I have is if you don't believe in God, why do you want to be married? Married is a biblical institution. It was ordained by God. Marriage is I stand before God. I make this promise before God to be faithful to you. If you don't believe in God, why do you want the why do you want marriage? That's a Christian institution. Nonetheless, there's the battle raging over same-sex marriage. And we see the headlines and the and the physical repercussions. Chick-fil-A has been banned, you know, protest against Chick-fil-A. Dan Cathy, the founder and president and owner of Chick-fil-A, he is a monster. He is evil. All kinds of rumors going on about Dan Cathy. Yeah, about a year ago, there was a guy, Shane Windmeyer, he's the executive director of Campus Point, or Camp, Campus Pride, rather. He's gay. He's, he's, he's married to another man. And uh, outspoken gay man, organizing all kinds of protests against Chick-fil-A had the opportunity to meet Dan Cathy. Dan Cathy reached out his hand in invitation. Why don't you sit down with me? Meet me at a basketball game. I'd like to talk to you. And so Shane took him up on that. We sat down with Dan Cathy, found out Dan Cathy's not a monster. He, Shane Winmeyer, the organizer of Campus Pride, actually wrote a blog on Huffington Post. You can read it at HuffPost.com. Wrote a blog about how Dan Cathy's not a monster. And uh, Dan Cathy actually has beliefs, and he stands in his beliefs. He's a man of integrity. I don't agree with his beliefs, but nonetheless, I have to respect the man because he treated me as a person. He didn't treat me as a leper or anything like that. Wrote actually a really cool blog about it, called off all the protests on campuses across America, said don't protest Chick-fil-A anymore. But we don't hear that part. What we hear is that Hobby Lobby is an evil, evil empire. Don't buy anything from Hobby Lobby. They don't believe in women's rights. Because Hobby Lobby doesn't want to provide health care that provides a, what we call an abortion pill. Hobby Lobby says, wait a second. God told Jeremiah that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So a child in the womb, that's sanctity of life. We're not going to mess with that. We believe, absolutely we believe in women's rights. Matter of fact, Hobby Lobby has higher than average pay for all their workers, and they promote women in an inordinate amount. Lots of women are in corporate executive positions with Hobby Lobby, but we don't hear about that. We just hear about how Hobby Lobby is awful and how we need to ban Hobby Lobby and, and not buy anything from them. It seems as if nobody wants to pay attention to what the Christians really say. Instead, we just see the headlines about how stupid Christians are, about how bigoted they are, about how racist they are, about how bad it is to be a Christian in America today. And it seems like on any topic you want to talk about, it's opposite. I want to talk about environmentalism. Christians believe that God told Adam, subdue the earth, have dominion over it, and take care of it. Absolutely, we're some of the best environmentalists that there are, but we also don't worship the earth. And so we look at it and we say, wow, the sky is blue and the grass is green, and it seems that people of opposite beliefs say, no, 
the sky is green and the grass is blue. How did we get to such a great divide in this country? And it makes me wonder, so what is it that makes Christianity so bad? What's the actual message of Christianity? We looked at this in Florida, if you were able to be at round number one and, and sit down at this chapel service. So what is a Christian? A Christian is simply someone who acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ came down to this earth, died for our sins. Through him we have eternal life. A Christian is someone who wants to follow Jesus. Well, what exactly did Jesus teach? Jesus, when he was on this earth, he came during one of the most religious periods in all of history. Okay, he came to Israel. He came to the land of the Jews. At the time, the Jews, they date all the way back to when God told Abraham, I have a promise for you. We'll make a great nation out of you. That great nation is out in the wilderness, and God gives them the Ten Commandments through Moses. You remember this? The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There are other commandments. And you ask somebody, what are the Ten Commandments? They can always remember one of them. Well, you're not supposed to kill anybody. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. There are nine others. Have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Remember the Sabbath day. And the list goes on. On top of the Ten Commandments, there are 603 subsidiary commandments that God gives Moses onto the people. By the time Jesus gets on this earth, the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, they say, not only are there 613 laws here, we want to make sure that we don't violate any of these, so we got all these other laws too. And if you don't break this law, then you won't break that law, which means you won't break this law. So they had all these rules going on. Somebody comes to Jesus and says, Jesus... You seem to be such a great teacher. You know everything. Tell me, what's the greatest commandment? Thinking that they're backing Jesus into a corner, and Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what. Here's the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's your neighbor? And then he went on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan that we've all heard many, many times, I'm sure. The thing is, with the Samaritans, you have to understand the political landscape of the time of Jesus, the Samaritans, when, when Israel got taken into captivity, about five, 600 years before Jesus was on earth, Israelites got taken into captivity, the conquering king sent his own people into the, la into the conquered land of Israel. Those people that settled there, the Gentiles, are not Jews, they settled there and they mixed and they mingled with the Jews. And they brought their own religion into the land and they kind of mixed and there was this whole melting pot. And not only did you have a mixed race now, but you had mixed beliefs. And so the Samaritans, honestly, they were called half-breeds back then. Yeah, it was racist and it was wrong, but instead of Jesus coming out and saying, you guys are wrong about this, he told a little story. And so the Samaritans, when you understand that the Samaritans, not only were they looked down upon because they're half-breeds or, or these racist terms, but they had incorrect theology, so they were very much hated. The Samaritans and the Jews were constantly at odds with each other. And Jesus tells the story, who's your neighbor? Well, here's the deal. A guy was walking out in the middle of the wilderness on his way to Jericho. He got waylaid by robbers. The robbers beat him to a pulp and left him for dead. The guy's laying on the side of the road and he's dying. Nobody will stop and help him. And along comes a Jew, a very pious Jew, somebody who really knew the word of God, who really knew what all the laws were. A priest came by, saw the guy laying on the side of the road and said, hey, that's not my business. I'm not getting involved and walked on by. Same thing happened with a Levite. A Levite came walking by and said, oh, that's not my business. I'll walk on by. The guy lays there dying. And finally, a Samaritan, a hated, despised Samaritan comes along, sees the guy laying there picks him up, puts him on his donkey, gives him medical care, takes him into town, pays for him to have an end, says, I'll take care of him when I return from my trip. Now you tell me, who's the neighbor? And they had to admit, well, I guess it would be the Samaritan. Yeah, now you're getting the picture, Jesus says. I have an opportunity. 
being um, uh, the GNCC pit pastor, I guess is what I'm called, uh, GNCC uh, came to me a couple months ago and said, hey, we're losing our beloved Jen Kenyon. Jen Kenyon was the media relations manager. She's also the one, she did a lot of the podium interviews with the kids in the morning. And uh, she, Jen Kenyon, during her time at GNCC, started a school program where on race weekends, she would go to the school with a couple of pro riders and have a little assembly and talk about GNCC racing and how cool it is and, and don't be a bully. And so GNCC came to me and said, hey, would you take over the school program since Jen won't be here anymore? I said, well, yeah, I'd love to. And actually, uh, Ryan Sipes went to a school with my first school visit ever. Uh, he was able to bail me out. He kind of knew what was going on. And we had a good time teaching these kids about dirt bikes and about safety gear and don't be a bully. Well, this past weekend, on Friday, I got to go to a middle school. We've been doing elementary school. We had all these cool little things, activities for the kids to do. That's kind of cheesy for middle schoolers. So we just sat and we talked with the kids. Uh, had about 200 students lined up. And uh, I had this idea, talking instead of just talking, don't be a bully like you can with a third grader, to an eighth grader, it's got to be a little bit more subtle. It's got to be a little bit more interesting for them. And so I said, hey, of you, of you guys are sitting here in this auditorium right now, how many of you are musical? How many of you play an instrument? And, and half the kids raise their hand, or a third of the kids raise their hand. So I picked on a kid in the front row, and I said, hey, come here and talk to me. And his eyes got really big, and he's like, whoa, you never know what you're going to get into when I say, hey, I need a volunteer at the beginning of the elementary assembly. I need a volunteer, and I bring the kid down here, and I say, hey, at the beginning of every race, we sing the national anthem, so take it away. And the kid's just like, ah. <laughs> Of course, I don't really want him to do that, but you never know what you're going to get into. And so I had this, this music kid. I said, come here. And, of course, music kids, they tend to be a little bit shyer than dirt bike racers are. And so he gets up, and he's kind of nervous. And I said, well, what's your name? He tells me his name. I said, well, my name's Chuck. And I shake his hand. And I said, now, I have a suspicion that you and I probably don't have much common ground. But I'm going to try, man. I'm going to reach out to you. What's your favorite movie? And he said, The Cruise. And initially, I was like, oh, I've never even heard of that movie. And as soon as I finished my sentence, I was like, oh, yeah, I did watch that movie. It sucked. <laughs> but it's his favorite movie. I didn't say that. I was just like, oh, no. I'd... Yeah, we're striking on that one. Asked him several different questions. We had no common ground whatsoever. I said, well, here's the deal, Caleb. You and I are nothing alike, but I like you. I'd like to have lunch with you sometime. I'd like to find out why it is that you think the way that you do. I'd like to find out what music is. I don't even know what a note is. Why don't you teach me sometime? And that was to be an example of you guys get along. And it's the same thing that Jesus was saying. Your neighbor is people that are nothing like you. And yet you look at the life of Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And he came to set the example. And so if, that is the, if that's the premise of Christianity, love your neighbor as yourself, then why is Christianity such a bad thing? Why is it bad to be a Christian? And here's the deal. We could look at it and we could say, well, you know, Christians have been bad examples of being Christians. Christians have used the Bible to club people over the head and to shout down at them and tell them what they ought to do and what they ought not to do. And you know what? There's probably a little bit of truth in that. There's probably a little bit of truth. But when you look back at the very beginning of this movement called Christianity, this beginning of the movement that actually didn't even have a name. It was called The Way. It was just a group of people that believed that Jesus was really alive, that he, they saw him die on a cross, they saw him buried, and then they saw him come back to life. That was the movement of The, of the Way, the Christians. 
And you look at the beginning of that movement, and you find out that people started dying because of what they believed. They started dying for what they had seen. They saw a risen Savior. And you look at that and say, wait a second, that's before anybody was getting clubbed over the head with a Bible. There wasn't even a Bible. For 300 years, the beginning of this movement, for 300 years, there wasn't even a Bible. And so you look at it and say, well, hold on a second. The, uh, the, the, the early followers of Jesus, the disciples, they all died for what they believed. They all died, not necessarily for what they believed, but for what they saw. Three of them, including Peter, were crucified. Two of them were stoned to death. Two were beheaded. Thomas was killed by arrows in India. Philip was hanged on a, on a pillar in Phygra. And Bartholomew, Bartholomew, if I can say that, was skinned alive in Armenia. They all died, not because they clubbed somebody over the head, but because they believed in Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. If Jesus said, love your neighbor, how could you possibly die for that? Here's the answer. And it's found in, in Revelation, which is written by the one disciple that wasn't killed for his belief, wasn't killed for what he saw. Tradition says that John was actually burned alive by pouring boiling oil all over him, and nothing happened. And so he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And so here's what John writes in the beginning of the Revelation to John. Not the Revelation of John, but the Revelation to John. John, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I got exiled here because I believe in Jesus. And he says, while I was there, I had a vision. And I saw Jesus come to me. And he was dressed in white and he had this gold sash across his chest. And his hair was white and radiant. And I was terrified. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And so John grabbed his pen and pencil, and he started writing exactly what his vision was. And he wrote about things that are to come, and there's a lot of things in the book of Revelation that we don't understand, we can't make sense of. But there are some things in Revelation that we have a clear picture of because he wrote about what happened in the past. And in Revelation chapter 12, Here's what he says. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and the angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. The deceiver of the whole world. Why? Is it bad to be a Christian? Because the deceiver of the whole earth is on the loose. And he is blinding the hearts and minds of people everywhere on this globe. He's blinding them with false religions and with false gods. And he's blinding us here in America. You look at the history of America. And when, uh, when the first settlers touched down on April 26, 1607, that's, um, that's 13 years before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, the first settlers hit the New World. They hit the beach in Virginia. The first permanent English settlers from the London Company set up a cross on the newly named Cape Henry shore in gratitude to God. Those settlers later traveled up the James River to Jamestown. That's a quote from Virginia.org. If you look at the Virginia, uh, Welcome to Virginia website, they talk about this cross that was erected in America. That was the first thing that the first settlers did when they put up a cross paying homage to God. From there, we see 1776, the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. We're endowed by our Creator with unalienable rights 
the, the right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have the right to worship God however we choose, wherever we choose. And then in, the, uh, in 1792, the Great Seal of the United States was commissioned. <laughs> I lost it. My dollar bill. If you look at the back of a dollar bill, you'll see the Great Seal of the United States. And you will see an eagle with 13 stars over top of it, which represent the 13 colonies, the original 13 colonies. Those 13 stars are arranged in a star shape, a six-pointed star, which is the Star of David, and is surrounded by a cloud. And that cloud is called glory. The glory of the Lord is over the eagle. From there, we started our westward expansion. We conquered the whole land of, of what we now know as the United States of America, from the New England states all the way to California, the westward expansion. After that, the um, Frederick Jackson Turner developed his frontier theory, and he explained that the effect of conquering the land after this, we started settling inward, and generations that came in became self-sufficient, and fewer and fewer churches were built. And you look at the 1880s, right at the time that we finished this westward expansion, in the 1880s, Rutherford Hayes commissioned the Presidential Seal of America. The Presidential Seal of America is very, very similar to the Great Seal of America that we see on our dollar bill, but the Presidential Seal has 13 stars over it, and they're aligned in a row, in an arc rather, and over each star is its own cloud. No longer do we have the glory of the Lord over the eagle. We did it. 13 stars, our own glory. We did it. We conquered this land. And you look at the history of America in the 1960s. We took the Bible out of school. We took prayer out of school. 1973, Roe v. Wade, we said abortion is legal. And now today, you just see a progression. It is bad to be a Christian. Why? Because there's a deceiver. There is a great deceiver on the loose. And if, is there hope for America? I don't know. You read, the, you read the Bible and you start studying prophecy and you get pretty discouraged and say, man, there ain't no hope for nobody. Is there hope for my neighbor? That person who posts those blogs all the time that say how bad Christians are, is there hope for her? You betcha. That's what I'm responsible for. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've heard it said many times, love your friends and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's what we're called to do here in America today. It's not to go clubbing people with the Bible. It's not to, it's not to shout them down. Dan Cathy didn't win any friends if he were going to shout them down, but he just reached an invitation out and said, hey, why don't you come have a discussion with me? Get to know me. I'd like to get to know you. Love your neighbor. Pray for those who persecute you. There's still hope for America because there's hope for my neighbor. Lord, thanks a lot for today. I just pray that you go with us as we leave this place. I pray that you'll turn the hearts of Americans back to yourself. If not that, then we each have a friend on our heart right now that we know needs Jesus. We know that their eyes are darkened, their hearts are blinded. I pray that you will remove the scales and just show your love to them and use us to do it. That's our whole mission on this earth, is to show the love of God by the way that we live our lives. Help us to do just that here in the GNCC Racing Nation. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys, and have a great race.